this is an unprecedented moment in our history. And young people in particular have to seize the day. Hi, everyone. This is Neil Devani, and welcome to season two of The Operators. This season, we're talking to people who have had a vision of changing the world and actually took the leap of faith to pursue that vision. Our guests include tech startup founders, nonprofit leaders, and rising political stars. Each guest has found supporters for their vision, built all-star teams to pursue it, and raised millions of dollars to make it all happen. We get to hear their stories and how they've overcome the obstacles to creating change. The Operators is produced by Necessary Ventures, an early-stage venture firm investing in what the world needs. Learn more at Necessary.vc. Before we meet today's guest, on The Operators, we like to highlight brands doing good. Today's is Spiro Foods, the top plant-based cream cheese company. Spiro's cream cheese is made from seeds and is vegan and keto-friendly. Spiro's products have 95% less water waste and consumption than traditional dairy, and you can learn more at spirofoods.co. Use the code OPERATORS at checkout for a special discount. Now let's meet today's guest. Mondaire Jones is not your typical politician. He's vying to be the first gay black man in Congress. After growing up on Section 8 housing in a single-parent home, Mondaire worked his way to Stanford for his undergrad and then Harvard for law school. After a career that included time in the Obama White House, He's now the odds-on favorite to represent his home district in New York. Listen in as Mondaire shares his experiences in raising millions of dollars and winning endorsements from the likes of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and the New York Times, as well as how he's going to bring much-needed change to America. Mondaire, thank you for joining us. Uh, you just won a huge primary in New York's 17th district, and you're poised to be the first Black LGBT member of Congress. Uh, how does it feel? And it, it feels phenomenal. Uh, as I've said before on the campaign trail, growing up poor, black, and gay, I never imagined that someone like me could run for Congress, let alone be a leading contender for my party's nomination uh, and to be the next member of Congress now from this district uh, if everything goes as planned. And so I'm just really grateful. I, I was never running to make history, but it, it sure is nice and it means a lot. I think, uh, for, for people all throughout this district and all throughout this country. Yeah, for sure. I think there's definitely a, a lot of people who are looking at you uh, and certainly feeling inspired. Um, I, I want to start at the very beginning. Uh, you know, Tell me about how you grew up, where you grew up, what that was like. Yeah, you know, so my district is parts of Westchester County and all of Rockland County. These are suburbs of New York City. And I describe this district as a tale of two cities. It is the 19th most affluent congressional district in the country, uh, where the average household income is approximately $100,000. But as the New York Times said in, in its endorsement of my campaign a few weeks ago, there are pockets of deep poverty like where I grew up. I grew up in a working class community of about 30,000 people today called the Village of Spring Valley. And specifically, I grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps, and my young single mom still had to work multiple jobs just to be able to provide for our family. And she got help raising me from my grandparents. My grandfather was a janitor, and my grandmother cleaned homes. And when daycare was too expensive, she took me to work with her. So now I get to run to represent the same people whose homes I watched my grandmother clean growing up. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to leveraging those lived experiences uh, to inform policy that is made in Washington 
at the federal level. And uh, it is something, thankfully, I think that has resonated with the people in my district. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they can see you as a representative who understands where they come from, what they've, what they experience. Um, what, what was it like, uh, deciding to go to college? Like, how did you decide where to go? Was it something that, you know, your, your family was very involved with that decision and supporting you or, you know, how did you get there? I was very independent minded growing up as, as I still am. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, from as early as like middle school knew that I wanted to, uh, leave and, and, and get a great education. Um, and so I started, I started that process of looking at colleges and universities from as early as middle school. You know, I was, I was taking practice exams, you know, practice PSATs and SAT exams, uh, years before, I was a junior in high school, uh, meaning, you know, I, I took, I took the mock, I, th- I took an SAT, practice SAT, uh, you know, when I was in seventh or eighth grade and, wow. um, and just have really been focused on that. Um, and, and, you know, my, 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 fam- my family was supportive, but Hey, I'm the only guy in my family, in my immediate family who's graduated from college. And so the only person I should say, and, um, you know, there, there was only so much that they could do in terms of being a resource for me as, as I, as I looked at where I wanted to go and, 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 and frankly how to pay for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you did that and you ended up at Stanford, um, and then you went on, decided to go on to law school. Um, walk me through kind of what the Stanford experience was like for you and then how you decided to go to law school. And, and I worked in the Obama administration before law school and after Stanford. Um, you know, it, Stanford, was like like the best four years of my life. It, it, it is. I don't know if you've been to campus. I suspect you have. It, it is paradise. Uh, it's also a bubble. Like we are completely detached from the real world, unless you're doing community service in like East Palo Alto or something. Yep. And um, you know, I had never even been to California before visiting Stanford. Uh, I knew when I visited that I would love it. I, I love the people I met. Um, it was a diverse community of students on campus. Um, there was a vibrant black community, which, which mattered to me. And, um, and of course I got a great education there and got involved in student government and a number of other, um, organizations, um, including the black student union, but, but just more than anything, it was just the, the people there, like they, they, they were the, the, they are remain some of my closest friends to date and, um, and it doesn't help that the weather is pretty nice too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I actually got there, uh, just after you left. So I came in 2010 was there, I think we graduated law school at the same time, 2013. Um, nice. When you, I, sh- when I should have known you were a fellow, fellow Cardinal, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The vibe is there. <laughs> did you, did you know, like going into college, you might want to go to law school or how did you make that decision? Was it, working in the Obama administration that kind of pointed you there or where did that come from? I chose, I chose college based on the strength of the English program in part because I wanted to be the next Toni Morrison. And, you know, I, I, I knew that I would major in English. I knew that I would be a novelist. Neither of those things happened. I got increasingly involved in politics through the NAACP 
you know, uh, being able to thankfully chair a committee on the national board of directors when I was, um, when I was 19, uh, and, and getting involved in the student government and working on issues like faculty and graduate student diversity, a living wage for dining hall and, and, and maintenance workers and, uh, and, and on and on. And finally said to you know, with, with, with encouragement from some of my friends, I should really pursue this law thing. And so started taking political science classes and, uh, and interning in, in the legal profession and, and really enjoyed that. And, and so by the time by the time I worked in the Obama administration, ironically as a non-lawyer at the Department of Justice uh, after college, um, vetting candidates for federal judgeships and working on criminal justice reform, which we urgently need in this country right now. Um, by the time I got there, I, I knew that I wanted to go to law school, and in fact applied uh, applied to law school while I was while I was at DOJ. Got it. Okay, and and you went on to. Uh, Harvard, uh, another great school. Um, I, I know you spent some time then um, doing a couple different things, uh, working um, as a, a lawyer for Westchester County, also doing a big firm thing. When was the first time you thought about running for office? Like, did, what was it that made you think that that was something you wanted to do? Well, you know, for most of my life, I didn't think that I could run for office. Uh, and the reason is that I'm gay. And I didn't think that I would be accepted as an openly gay candidate. Uh, so, you know, while I have at times thought about it, it has really only been in the last five years or so that I have um, felt like I could run and be successful. And I'm just grateful for the progress that the community has made over the past decade or so. Uh, especially over the past five years, and uh, to be, you know, running as my authentic self is is really a liberating feeling, and uh, and some people even say it makes them more likely to vote for me, which is great. That's awesome to hear, right? It's definitely uh, a shift, I'm sure. Um, were you were you out like in college or in law school, or when did that happen? It was my, my second year of law school. I came out. Okay, so I was I was not out in college. Um, in, in the first half of law school. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it was, look, a lot of people already kind of <laughs> suspected. Other people were surprised. Um, but uh, more than anything, it was just a, a great feeling to be able to, to tell people that and, and to continue to live my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure, like, the people that you were friends with at law school were probably very supportive, I would hope. Absolutely. Everyone, everyone was supportive, including my family. Um, you know, I grew up in the Baptist church and, uh, let's just say it's not really easy to come out, uh, when you grow up in that kind of environment. And, um, and thankfully my, my family was supportive nonetheless, you know, some people needed more encouragement than others, but, um, I, I've been really, really grateful and pleased to now be having conversations with my family about who I'm dating you know, and, and for them to be asking questions about it, which is great in yeah. a judgmental way. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so, so in terms of running for office, right, it, it's something vaguely, you know, you've been considering or thinking about, or at least you pay attention to, to politics. You get to law school, you learn more about the law. You've worked in the Obama administration. Um, you come out and you're now like living your, your, uh, you know, very honest, open life. 
Um, what's the moment where you know you you decided you're definitely doing this? Like the point of no return about running for office. Yeah, I, I knew that I was running for Congress in particular um, in the spring of 2019 when a few friends said, you know what, you can do this. We, we know that you feel like we need better representation uh, and transformational leadership in American politics. Uh, and, and, uh, and we know you've had disagreements with our member of Congress uh, from a policy standpoint. And why won't you, why won't you run? And I was dismissive initially. I was like, Ooh, I mean, I could never defeat the chair of the House Appropriations Committee um, <laughs> who has near universal name recognition and a war chest um, of, uh, of, of money and, and especially having never held elected office. And, you know, then I started seeing some polling that someone else had done when, uh, when he was considering doing it. And, and frankly, I was also really inspired by AOC, uh, you know, seeing another young person, in particular a young person of color who didn't come from money or from a political family and who successfully defied the political establishment, uh, in particular the Democratic establishment. And, uh, and, and also this feeling that nothing is going to change unless people start stepping out on faith. And I had also, I should say, seen a number of my friends successfully challenge incumbents in New York, in, in New York state, um, uh, legislative politics, uh, in particular, the state Senate had been controlled by this group called the IDC, the independent democratic conference. And these were a group of rogue Democrats who caucused with Republicans in the state Senate. And I was helpful on a number of those campaigns in particular, a close friend of mine, and, and they defied the odds and, revolutionized New York state politics, frankly, by defeating six of those eight members of the IDC. And so I was just getting all these data points like, wow, I mean, people really are ready for change in this country. I'm young, I'm intelligent. Um, I'm, I think I'd be a, a really good campaigner and I have something to add that no one else has, has really added to the conversation. And so uh, I stepped out on faith and for, uh, for the first three months, many people thought I did not have a chance. And then my member of Congress announced her retirement at the age of 82 years old. And then it became an open race. One person moved back to Chappaqua from Los Angeles. He was the son of a billionaire. Another person moved back to Chappaqua from, from Georgetown. You know, Chappaqua is a place with only a few thousand folks, but you'd think half the residents of Chappaqua are running for Congress. And it became an, it became an eight-way race. Um, and, and ultimately, I defeated the son of a billionaire who spent $5 million to buy this, elect, this election. Um, I defeated a senior defense department official under Obama, uh, a popular state assembly member, a well-known state senator, uh, and a county legislator and the list and the, the former chair of the NARAL foundation. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm really, really grateful for the people of my district for believing in me and rallying behind me and, and supporting me by an overwhelming margin. Yeah, that's, I mean, quite the, quite the list of people to be up against, especially in your first race, especially you started literally only uh, a few months more than a year ago. Um, I, I want to go back to that point and, and understand, you know, at that moment, you know, who did you, who did you tell first? 
what was the response from folks when you planted the stake in the ground and said, okay, I'm going to do it? You know, the, the activist, the progressive activist community was elated. <laughs> they had been lobbying their member of Congress to do any number of things um, and, and had been increasingly frustrated over the years. And so the community you were already pretty well entrenched in given that you had been working on campaigns and, and working on these causes. Right. You know, I, I, had, I had been an activist alongside them and, um, and, and, and did not need to convince them. I, rather, I needed to convince the electorate. <laughs> was it, was there, and you don't have to name names here. Was there anyone, um, you know, who is, who is not supportive, who is either, you know, doubting you or cautioning you against it? Um, oh, that, course. that you remember? Of course. Uh, you know, I got a phone call instantly after I, f- um, filed from, Actually, this happened before. He, he claims to have heard a rumor, which is ironic because I, I was not seriously considering running against my member of Congress at the time. But he called me anyway months before I announced. He ended up running against me um, in the primary and lost. Uh, he's a, a state assembly member. And he said, I'm hearing that you're planning on running against Congresswoman Lowy. Um, and, uh, and I truthfully said, no, actually. I was, people are trying to get me to do it, but I uh, am not seriously considering it. And ultimately, I changed my mind. Um, but you know, he was someone who was, who, you know, tried to discourage me from doing it. And just a number of, uh, members of the establishment, local elected officials, uh, the Westchester County executive who had been my former boss, frankly, you know, uh, published something on Facebook, uh, criticizing me and Jamal Bowman, who at the time had already announced that he was running against, uh, Elliot Engel. And of course we both ended up winning our primaries anyway. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always going to be someone doubting, right? Always someone uh, trying to push you, push you down. Um, was there anyone close to you, anyone that you love and trust, uh, who told you not to do it or be careful? I mean, I think people outside of politics thinks like you know it's very like easy and glamorous, but there's definitely a real price and, and maybe even some danger associated with it. Anyone tell you like, hey, maybe this isn't the best thing to do? Um, and, and was worried about you? A, a, a number a number of people close to me were skeptical, um, some privately so and didn't tell me. Others, you know, openly told me, and, and which I appreciated. I, I'd like my friends to be honest with me about how they're feeling. Um, and, you know, and then I think a lot of people resolved that, well, uh, he's not going to win this thing, but um, – it would be it, it will be a great foray into politics for him. He'll get his name out there, and 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 he'll lay a foundation for a future run. And of course, right. I the, in the entire time thought that I could defeat my member of Congress, and because I'm just, you know, that's just who I am. And, and I and you know, we ended up not having to deal with that um, because again, she announced her retirement. What what advice do you have for people who are interested in running, considering it, but just feel that? You know, it's, it's not something they can do either because it's a general doubt or because, I mean, in today's world, you know, things are so polarized with social media, everything's online, your background, your history. Um, how do you think about those things and how would you advise younger folks thinking about getting involved? I, I would say. Or older folks, given that you're pretty young yourself. I would say that if you think that you have something to add, Get out there and run for something. There's literally an organization called Run for Something. Um, you know, be thoughtful about it and understand why it is that you're running. 
understand what your community needs and wants. Um, understand whether we need more people like you in politics or whether other people will be better suited <laughs> to take us in the right direction. And I say that, I know that sounds mean, but I, I but I, I see, you know, again, I just finished running against people who had no business running in this Democratic primary against me. You know, someone who had literally all the advantages imaginable and then some, right? I mean, literally, he's going to inherit $2.3 billion at least um, from his father. And uh, and we do not need more people like him in our politics. So if that's you, uh, consider something else. Consider some other way to be helpful uh, and, and lift up other people who need to be better represented in our politics, who can bring their lived experiences to bear as we, as we draft policy at the state, local and national level. Um, and, 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 you know, one thing I did, I, I went to the victory Institute. That was a training done by the LGBT victory fund and how to run for office. That was helpful to me. And a number of other organizations do the same thing. Emily's list has a training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know the arena folks, the arena. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. The arena. I, I attended a conference hosted by the arena as well. Uh, and, and so, and so th- there are a number of organizations, especially geared towards young people who we need more of in office. Uh, and, and so I encourage you to go to one or more or all of those conferences and, and figure out if it's something that you want to do and, and also understand what the, what the position entails. One thing I hate about this job is that you have to constantly fundraise even after you get elected. <laughs> that's a that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, how did you raise the money you raised? How did you raise your first dollar? Like, who was the first person you asked? What did you tell them? What did they say back to you? You know, whenever you set out to run for something, an astute political advisor will tell you to create a spreadsheet of people uh, who you think can give you X number of dollars and keep populating that spreadsheet until you get to the number that you need for the quarter. And that's what I did. You know, I call, it was the first quarter last summer, you know, Monday, July 8th was when I announced, I actually had started raising on uh, the day I filed, which I think it was that Friday or something like that. And, and my, you know, my, my first, I, I remember that first thousand dollar donation. It was from a, from a dear friend of mine who now I'm reminded I need to give him a phone call and just thank him for being one of my original donors we ended up raising $1.6 million, um, you know, 500,000 of which came in like the final three weeks of the race after AOC and Bernie Sanders endorsed me. Wow. Um, but you know, it is really expensive to run for Congress and this was an unusually competitive election where an unusually large amount of money was being spent uh, because I was running against someone who had the resources to just throw $5 million of his own money at this thing. Uh, and so it's really tough to compete with that. And it's why I'm a big proponent of campaign finance reform so that more people who are bartenders, let's say, if you're AOC, right, before she became a, a fresher member of Congress, uh, can can run successfully for Congress. Those are the experiences we need better re- represented in our, policy, in our policies, in our policymaking. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's such a, an important skill. I mean, on the show, we talk to people who are running for office, who have run for office, people who are starting companies and people starting nonprofits. And everyone has to fundraise um, to, to basically get their entry ticket into the game. Um, and, and, and let me just add more, more color to this. Uh, you, were, you were literally sitting at a table as I was uh, at my like dining room table for, for like eight hours straight, uh, you know, absent the bathroom break and, 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 and lunch, dialing for dollars, literally right. dialing for dollars all day. 
that has been the vast majority of the time that I've spent on this election has been sitting at a table and dialing for dollars. It is the uh, most humbling experience that I've ever had because I pride myself on not asking people for favors. Uh, and to be put in that situation uh, was was something I had to adjust to. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a learned skill uh, and not pleasant for most people. Did you have fundraising experience before this or was this the first time you really did fundraising? For me, it's easier to raise for other people. Um, you know, yes, I did. I, I had fundraised for a friend of mine who was who ran successfully for state rep position in North Carolina, uh, and and more recent than that, more recently than that, um, a a friend of mine who ran successfully for state senate. Um, but of course, I've also you know hosted a fundraiser for my friend Michael Tubbs, uh, who is the mayor of Stockton, California. I'm really proud of the work that he's doing over there, and. So, so I, I've, I've had a number of experiences fundraising for other candidates, but never for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to get Tubbs on the show. I'm excited for that. Um, so, so, how, so then how did you start raising money from people you didn't already know? I understand you, you make a list, you're calling people, um, and, and people who know you obviously uh, have a sense of belief or understanding of what you're capable of. Um, and that's one kind of thing. What about people that you, that you don't know? Well, I mean, how do you even find the people that you don't know? And then also obviously convince them to, to make a donation. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a, a really good team of people who are part of the finance unit of your race and they come to you with the names of people who they think would be likely to give to you. Uh, and you, and you call those people up. And you ask them for money and you, you, you make it personal for me. It's, uh, it's my story, which is a story unlike anyone else's story, certainly in my race. And I think unusual in American politics at, at this level of government. Uh, and, and you have that conversation and, 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 and if you're good at it, it's organic. People know why you're calling. These are people, you know, who, you know, have the capacity to give and probably have been asked by candidates before typically, um, and then you make the ask and look, sometimes people say no. And other times people, more often people say not that much. Uh, and this is of course, if they answer at all, right. The vast majority of people do not answer their phone from an unknown number. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and a lot of times it takes multiple calls over, over the span sometimes of months, if not, you know, uh, and, and it, it, like I said, it's a, it's a very humbling experience. Um, but, but it's a, it's also a volume game, right? If you, if you can make a hundred phone calls a day, uh, then even if five people answer the phone that day, uh, you know, you could raise several thousand dollars. How, how many people do you think, uh, let's, say, let's put it this way. How many phone calls do you think you've made, um, so far over the course of the race? Understanding that like you've won the primary, we have the general coming up. So it's not the complete picture, but what's that number look like roughly? Uh, I would say over a million for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> um, that's incredible. That's incredible. It's, uh, it's really sad. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, obviously it's not the uh, situation course. like the world to be in, but it shows, I mean, it shows the persistence, right? It shows the willingness to do what you have to do to make change. It's, it's the, it's the hustle, man. I don't know. I mean, my boy, Mike Tubbs, uh, you know, ran for city council when he was a senior at Stanford. 
um, you know, defeated a, an incumbent there and then ran for mayor against an incumbent. Um, you know, my boy Chaz Beasley, who successfully ran for state state house rep in North Carolina, defeated a Republican incumbent in a general election. Um, my oh, wow, I forgot one of my, my, my best friend, Gurmai Zahalai up in, in Seattle, uh, unseated an incumbent of his own party, the Democratic Party. Uh, who had been in office since 1994, I believe. Uh, he just, and then um, the, my friend who was a state senator ran against an incumbent of the same party. It was a Democratic primary. Like, you you got to hustle. You got to hustle to get this stuff done. This stuff is not easy. Uh, and it's not for the faint of heart. And so it's why you have to be invested in it. You can't be, oh, I don't know if I want to go into politics and then run for it, right? I mean, you're, you're unlikely to be successful in that way. Uh, you have to have the passion for it and the and and the organizational skill and um, and and a compelling message and um, and then you got to still got to raise a lot of money. Yeah, and and to raise a lot of money, even if you do raise a lot of money, you still have to build a team. You have to build support, right? You found uh, volunteers, you found staff willing to come grind out for you. People don't get rich working on political campaigns. How have you done that? I know you had some of these relationships, but and in- how did build that team. And in fact, my, my campaign manager uh, quit his job and moved up from Atlanta back back up here to um, to be my campaign manager before my member of Congress had announced her retirement. So talk about talk about believing in your candidate. That's conviction, yeah. I am so indebted to him for that, for taking that risk. Um, you know, my finance, well, uh, my, my press secretary slash call time manager it's a person who sits across from you as you make these phone calls for like eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, she made the same commitment before my, my member of Congress had could quit her job. So uh, they believed in me. And, um, and those are the best people, people who, who believe in you, who like sincerely believe in you. Uh, one of my opponents in this race uh, uh, had the kind of personality that caused the staff to dislike him uh, to the point where I had heard about it. Right. So, like you don't you don't want to you don't want a team of people who don't like you. Um, no, yeah, yeah. To, to say the least. And and my 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 staff um, really believed in. They were all progressives. Uh, they were a big believers. My digital organizing director had worked on Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign, uh, and one of the digital organizers had also come from that campaign. Um, and so these, these are true believers and, and, and I think it really did make the difference in terms of how hard they fought for their candidate and how, how hard they organized. When you, when you talked about fundraising, you mentioned that, you know, telling your personal story and showing how you were different from the other candidates was really important as you were building a team and finding people who believed in you, people to come work with you. Um, what, what are some things that stood out? Is it that personal story or were there other things that, you know, people came to believe in people who didn't maybe know you as well already, but decided to join the effort. It, it was the personal story. It was the fact that I was the only progressive candidate running. Um, and, you know, it was my qualifications. And, and, and I think all of those things really um, conspired to cause people to want to be involved in this movement. And, it's the same reason why we ended up getting hundreds of volunteers, many of whom were, were young people, people in college and high school. You know, when I hear stories of people crying the night of election night and, uh, and when I read things that people are saying on Facebook about how they've never been so inspired or invested in a campaign, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I wish I were as awesome as you think that I am. 
Um, <laughs> I'm glad somehow I was able to inspire you to, to, to work for me at least for a few months. Um, but it's definitely a confluence of things. Um, but that, that, that makes sense. I can see like the alignment. It sounds like there's alignment and a belief that you can actually make the change that you're seeking out to make and people will line up. Behind that. Right. Um, you've, you've racked up some incredible endorsements. You mentioned the New York times earlier. Um, you talked about AOC. Can you kind of just rattle off some of the names and then also kind of how you won them, how those things happened? Yes, I was endorsed by Elizabeth Warren on January 28th, and we had reached out to her campaign months before that. Um, I, I've been endorsed by Julian, Secretary Julian Castro, Senator Bernie Sanders, um, AOC, Ayanna Presley, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, um, the um, Congressional LGBTQ Equality Caucus, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus more recently and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And, you know, all of it requires outreach. There were some people who did come to me and told, and told me they wanted to endorse me, but... Uh, I imagine they the first movers. Not the folks who I just mentioned, though. I mean, those, those were all by application or by, uh, you know, finding someone we knew in common or, or, or you know, or reaching out to the staff and, and letting them know you know, it helped once once Elizabeth Warren endorses you, it helps to open the door for other people to, to take you seriously. Yeah, yeah, she's built quite the platform. Was she one of the the first big names, kind of like the the, the first mover there? She was the first big name to endorse me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, were there any that felt like a long shot that you didn't think uh, you were going to get, or like you didn't hear back from, and then all of a sudden they showed up? It was not clear to me that Bernie Sanders was going to endorse me. I. I and not because of anything I did. I just didn't know that he was going to be getting involved in down ballot races. Uh, and so I was very grateful, you know, to, for him to come through in, in, in June um, at a time when people were really starting to pay attention to the race. I'm, I'm so indebted to him for that. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, he has quite the following, so I'm sure that was very helpful. Um, so, okay. You've won the primary, you got the general coming up. Um, obviously you still got to win that, but you know, with where you are now, you've come quite a long way, uh, and it's not just been the year plus that you've been running, but then also the experience you've had before that. Um, what are some things you've learned that you want to share with folks listening who may be interested in, in starting an organization or running for office um, about how to do that? You, it, this is a long game, right? I, I, I've been running for Congress for one year. I mentioned that I announced my uh, my campaign on Monday, July eighth, and so much of it is a grind. Uh, people don't start paying attention to any election, and most people until the, the final two to three weeks. And so, you just have to trust that all the work that you were doing up until that point, largely the fundraising of it all, um, the, the earned media that you're getting. But again, the fundraising of it all. <laughs> uh, but that is all going to be in service of winning uh, your election. And which, again, which, which people don't start to pay attention to until the final two to three weeks of the race. And you just have to stick to it and be determined and surround yourself with good people, preferably people who have run campaigns in the past and who have worked on other campaigns so that they can... Uh, bring their expertise to bear. I mean, one of the best things that my campaign manager has done over the course of the past year is to tell me no. 
repeatedly. He has shot down my ideas. <laughs> he has told me that I'm overreacting or that I shouldn't care about certain things um, or that I'm thinking about something in the wrong way. And it happens that he has run a congressional campaign. He has managed a congressional campaign in the past. It was unsuccessful, but it did, did well. Um, and, and he had also been a deputy finance director on another congressional campaign. And, and I just, I don't know where I would be without him. So it, it's really, really helpful to, to, to get people who have experienced to, to run your campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting the right people on board um, is, is so, so important just in terms of making the right decisions, but then also having the endurance, right, to, to do something that's going to take a lot of effort. Um, are, there, are there things that you've learned about yourself over the last year or so that have been surprising or ways that you've seen yourself change? I am more patient than I thought I was. Um, I, I knew I had patience, but I'm even more patient than I thought I was. When you are a candidate, you you largely have to let a lot of stuff go that people say to you or say about you. Right, right. Um, relationships that are betrayed, you know, pe- people not having your best interests in mind, but pretending like they do. Um, and And people not moving as quickly to support you. And otherwise, provide you with resources as as you would as you would expect, given the relationship or a person's ideology. <laughs> and you just have to you just have to be patient and keep your eyes on the prize. I'm sure that people say some really wild and reckless stuff to you from time to time, either in person or or online. Oh, people say all types of crazy stuff. Um, there was a guy who. Um, is an openly gay guy and he told me that uh, he doesn't trust me to be an advocate on behalf of the gay community despite the fact that I'm running this historic gay race. He, he felt like I wasn't gay, like I wasn't openly gay enough, even though like if you just Google my name, I'm like all out there, right? Victory Fund has endorsed me, Equality Pack, the Human Rights Campaign a few weeks ago endorsed me. He said that because I grew up, because I'm from the black community, that and I grew up in the church that I would not be able to serve my black religious community and the gay community at the same time. It was the most racist thing that anyone has said to me in the course of this campaign. Uh, and I was furious. And, um, and you just have to let stuff like that, like you cannot let that distract you from winning your election. Yeah. You got to keep your eye on the prize, like you said. Yeah. Um, we're about to wrap up here with some, some rapid fire questions. But first, one more I want to ask you. Um, anything else you wish you knew when you first started? Looking back now, whether it's to, you know, a year ago, or even if you want to go back further, like two years ago, as you were kind of percolating these ideas, um, something you've learned, something you wish you knew. Just, again, how, how so much of this comes together in the final two to three weeks of a race. Um, attention being paid to the race, endorsements, um, fundraising, polling, momentum, um, you know, there's so much of this is out of your control, um, though a lot of the, the, the rest of the stuff is within your control, which is why it's good to start early and, and, and to fundraise. Um, all right, cool. Real rapid fire questions here. Uh, I'm just going to ask you for some favorites. Uh, who is your favorite member of Congress and why? Either current or historic. All right. I'm going to include the Senate in that. And I'm going to go with Elizabeth Warren um, because she's so brilliant and forceful. And um, I think 
also in, works in a way uh, where she, she she's you know she is going to implement her ideas. I love that. Um, did you study under her at all? Did you take any classes with her when you were in law school? I did not. No, when I was at one L, she was not teaching at HLS. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's already she's already in politics. Um, I think she taught Obama. She has this great story about um, meeting President Obama when he started running and just being really impressed by him as a former student. Um, who is your favorite president and why? Barack Obama, my guy. Uh, it was the honor of my life to, to work for him um, in his administration. And he has provided such inspiration for me. You know, you want to talk about who inspired me. Um, look, AOC has been a, a, a tremendous inspiration. Uh, but if, before AOC, there was Barack Obama. And I'd never felt that way about someone in our politics before seeing another, another black man uh, ascend to the highest levels of government uh, and, again, defy the political establishment <laughs> and, um, and, and get, if I don't say so myself, a lot of great work done while he was in office. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a, that's a great one. Uh, one of mine as well. I, he, he's a huge reason for me having a big pivot in my own life. Um, that's a story for another time. Um, what's your favorite book? Oh man. Okay. Whew, that's tough. Um, that's really tough. Or, a, or a book you recommend even, you know, Jubilee by Margaret Walker was really good. Um, everyone says to kill a mockingbird. Um, mm-hmm. I think of something more recent, you know, the new Jim Crow by, by Michelle Alexander, I think is, is a must read if you're interested in reforming our criminal legal system or understanding mass incarceration and, Incredible book, yeah. Racism in this country. Um, I'm surprised you didn't say anything by Toni Morrison. Yeah, no. As I as I literally look in front of me, I'm I'm staring at a book of essays by her called called The Source of Self Regard. Um, so Song of Solomon is is a is a book that I love by her, and 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 I'm due to reread it. Maybe when you uh, get bored uh, with politics and Congress, the novelist career will still be waiting for you. I'm I'm so open to that. I mean that sincerely. I still enjoy writing. Um, last one for you. What's your favorite movie? Oh my goodness. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, Terminator two judgment day is really up there. I love science fiction, man. And I used to, I used to watch that movie all the time when I was growing up. That is a throwback. That is yeah. a throwback. I haven't yeah. seen that in a very long time. Yeah. Me neither. I'm due, I'm due to do that as well as I get some downtime. Yeah. It'll be a good 4th of July. Some T2, some Toni Morrison. It'll be great. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, Mondaire, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for sharing more about your life and your experiences uh, and, and hopefully inspiring some folks to go out and make the change they want to make. I hope so. I really do. This is an unprecedented moment in our history. And young people in particular have to seize the day. Uh, because no one else is going to do it if we don't. So thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to joining you in the future, man.